Just when you thought it was safe to traverse the internet radio annals of Blog Talk Radio, just when you thought you couldn't get enough wrestling, we're back. We being Wrestle Chat Radio here on Fan Junkies Radio on Blog Talk Radio. There's a lot of radio involved for the internet. So glad you're joining us on this Tuesday evening, or if you're listening on the uh, on-demand podcast, whenever you may be joining us. I'm Jim Williams, uh, joined as always by Mr. WrestleChat.net. He is the founder. He is the owner. He is the man. He is the myth. He is the legend. He paid me to say all that. Not enough, though. Brett Clendaniel. Hey, Brett. Brett. How are you, Jim? I am very proud to say that unlike WWE's newest head writer, we made it more than six weeks. Looks like we made it! Oh, my goodness. Well, speaking of that, before we go too far here, Brett, uh, tell us a little bit about this axing of the head writer for WWE, because it's kind of a hilarious story. You know, not many details have come out yet, so it's really unsure of, it's really unclear of whether or not it's something that he initiated or if he was let go. So that part of it is kind of out of it right now. But right. PW, PW Torch is the one with the uh, initial report that WWE's newest head writer, Adam Rudman, uh, he has parted with, ways with the WWE. He uh, officially left as of Friday, and uh, he only lasted six weeks. So um, I guess that's what happens when the WWE decides that the best guy out there to run their multi-million dollar company is a guy who has Sesame Street on his resume. He was busy with uh, Elmo's World or what have you, which probably explains some of the shoddy writing and storylines the last uh, six weeks that he was involved. There you go. It all comes full circle. Uh, we wish you the very best in his future endeavors. So uh, there you go. Uh, but, you know, it's just one of the weird, weird things about this industry. Was that, and, a, was that a John Laurinaitis impersonation? That was people power. Uh, I miss that guy. Eh, you miss him, I miss Mike Adamley. We all have our people that we miss. What can I say? Oh. What? You, the Adamley original was legend, wait for it, Gary. I'd much rather prefer him on... Uh... American all, gladiators. all American Gladiators? American Gladiators, yes. Yeah, him, yeah. him with Larry Zonka and the Zonka Strader. Epic yeah. stuff. Epic yeah, stuff. Yeah. It was fantastic. Well, we're not here to talk about Powerball, uh, and not uh, not the lottery either, for that matter, which none of us hit, hence we're doing this show tonight. Uh, we're here to talk wrestling, and we're going to do that with a couple of special guests over the course of the hour we're with you here till 9.30 Eastern, live on Fan Junkies Radio on BTR. Uh, a little bit later on, I want to make sure I get this name right, because you've Prepped me enough times to have a say it. John Filipavich. That's right. Mr. Filipavich will join us. He is the director and producer, uh, co-director and producer, along with Kevin Kiernan, of the fantastic unauthorized documentary of Extreme Championship Wrestling. And uh, that documentary is called Barbed Wire City. And we are really, really excited to uh, talk with him about the film later on tonight. And uh, from what I understand, I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but I definitely do want to see it. It actually transcends not just the original ECW, but a little bit of the WWE CW. And uh, there are some moments where we also look at Extreme Reunion as well and what that's done to reignite interest in the good old days of Extreme from hard to believe now 20 years ago. It's it's just a fantastic film. I mean, if if, if you've seen the other documentaries that were done, uh, such as the rise and fall of ECW or Forever Hardcore. This one is in a complete league of its own, and it really does such a much better job of really bringing what was ECW to the modern day and telling the full story. It's so well done. Absolutely, and we'll talk with him uh, probably within the next 25, 30 minutes about that. That's going to be definitely must-listen to radio. And a little bit, we'll also be joined by uh, the one, the only, Eric Gargiulo, just when you thought he was done with internet radio about wrestling, he's back with Pro Wrestling Radio. That we'll talk about. Of course, he writes a Camel Clutch blog. If you don't check him out, then you will be humbled uh, by somebody else, I guess. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the state, as it were, of uh, some of the news going on in professional wrestling. Uh, we'll talk about that with Eric. And uh, remember, Eric was the first to use Excuse Me, not Vicky Guerrero. Eric Argiulo. I always make that a point to make that known. 
Uh, we invite you to join in on the conversation as well. What did you think of Extreme Rules? What did you think of Raw? Curtis Axel, better name than Michael McGillicuddy? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, anything in regards to any of our guests or any of the topics we're going to throw out, there are a couple of ways to get in touch with us. You can give us a call, give us a ring, if you will. If it's a diamond ring, we'll pawn it. That's always good. 347-237-5373. That's 347-237-5373. If you have Skype, you just click on that Skype button. Boom, you're connected right to us. And we have a chat room open uh, on the show page. We have a few people in there chatting it up a little bit. And uh, if you have questions or comments for either of us, throw them in the chat. We will get to them in a timely and efficient manner. So... Uh, Brett, Extreme Rules. What was what was the big takeaway in your estimation from Sunday's pay per view? Well, you know, I caught a lot of flack for this on Twitter because I just was not feeling the show. Um, it seems like everybody was kind of fifty fifty. Uh, a lot of people really loved seeing the Shield walk out with a ton of gold. Uh, they they enjoyed the show for the most part. Me, I was so. I don't know what killed the show for me, but I think it was the predictability. I actually finished the show, which is probably the first time it's ever happened. I actually had a perfect slate when it came to predictions for uh, Extreme Rules. So maybe that ruined it for me. I don't know. Um, But my takeaways would be the Shield. If you thought the Shield was going to be stopped sometime soon, if you thought they were going to go away and just have some some sort of really short stint a la the Nexus, a la the core. If you thought that was going to be the case, Extreme Rules tells us we are only beginning and that the shield is here for the long haul. And that's a key thing in my estimation because let's look at the talent pool in WWE right now. You've got most of your big names in their early, mid, upper 30s, some of them in their 40s. They have got to get younger It's going to be a trial-by-fire thing to a certain extent, which will segue into some other things uh, going on uh, in a little bit. Uh, So I'm all for this. I'm absolutely all for this, and I think uh, keeping this faction as strong and as bound together as they are uh, is a positive thing. So uh, uh, that's a definite positive. We have somebody on the uh, on the line from the 610. This could be one of our guests. Let's uh, let's check in and see here. Good evening, you're on Wrestle Chat Radio. Good evening, this is Eric Arjula, and I apologize for the late phone call. Excuse me, Eric! Oh, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I was going to drop the excuse me, but I don't want to wake the daughter up. <laughs> well, I understand, yes. Yeah. You have a kid, Brett has a kid, I'm single and available, ladies, there you go. Uh, Eric Arjulo <laughs> joining us from CamelClutchBlog.com, and of course, we'll talk about his new venture with Pro Wrestling Radio in just a little bit as well. But let me ask the same question I posed to Mr. Daniel to you, Mr. Gargiulo. The big takeaway from uh, Extreme Rules, the Shield's manly dominance, for lack of a better term, and the fact they're not going anywhere, or do you take something bigger out from uh, the pay-per-view? You know, it's really weird, this whole thing with the Shield. I mean, I can't think of a, a time where the WWE pushed guys, new guys, just fresh young talent as hard as they're pushing the Shield. I mean, they've, they've had them undefeated for so long, but, you know, it's like you look at that big picture, and I wrote a blog on it a couple of weeks ago. It's like, what's the end game here? You know, it's not like WWE has a six-man tag team champion. It's not like there's this... Uh, you know, a three-man unit other than 3MB, which I'm sure that's not the end goal here. You know, I really don't know. Yeah, right. You know, I really don't know what the end game here is. You know, there's a lot of talk about the Shield and the Undertaker, but then, like, what do you really do? Um, my, my, my gut is telling me that they're looking ahead to a Dean Ambrose-John Cena SummerSlam match. Now, I don't know this. I don't have any inside source, and maybe it's just wishful thinking. But, you know, for some reason or another, they separated Ambrose from the group, and I know there are a lot of people out there that have watched these guys that kind of saw Ambrose as something even a little more special than uh, Rollins and Reigns. And, you know, I just don't think it's coincidence that they're putting the emphasis on, on uh, Ambrose, and I really think at some point point he and Cena are going to have a clash yeah I'd be all for that because I think he has grown and matured tremendously the last couple of years going back to the independent scene and and now he's just a master on the mic I just he he can hold an audience he can captivate an audience and that's key not to mention he's pretty solid in the ring notwithstanding of course uh yeah I, I think I think it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with 
with the Shield, and I mean, you know, long term, I, I mentioned it. I don't know if you caught it when, uh, but before you joined us here on the phone, uh, WWE has to look ahead, and they have to get younger. And this is the right direction, is it not for them? Oh yeah. Oh no, absolutely. It certainly is the right direction, um, and they're doing all the right things with these guys. Um, but but they, they, I, I really don't know. Um, again, what the end game here is, you know, maybe the end game here is Ambrose um, being pushed so hard and being elevated that by the time he gets to Cena, that people will will buy him as as a superstar, elite WWE champion. I mean, you know, it just it seems to me, you know, uh, really just looking at um at what they've done with the shield it just seems to me that they've got bigger plans for the shield than they have for for anybody in a long time even ryback when ryback had that streak and then they all of a sudden shot him to cm punk that was never the plan it was cena got her and ryback was there and they wound up capitalizing on it um but that was never never the plan it's like here they are again and they have lightning in a bottle with these guys um, I do see big things ahead for them, and yeah, you're right. You know, they need to build for the future. You know, people talk about building for the future, and they point to guys like CM Punk. You know, CM Punk's in his 30s, and you know, I mean, I'm I'm past my 30s, but you know, CM Punk's not a young guy anymore. John Cena's certainly not not getting any younger. Um, you know, you you look at the guys. I don't know how old Dolph Ziggler is, but I know he's been around for a while. You know, it's like you look at the roster and you use the term quote unquote young guys, um, but there really aren't that many in the position to 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 achieve the kind of things that Ambrose Rollins and even Reigns can do. And you're you're so right Eric on that because one thing that everybody I think is looking for at least uh people like you and I is we're we're already looking ahead. We're looking for that guy that's going to be the next John Cena. And a lot of the times when people think about who that person is going to be, they're looking at people like Daniel Bryan and CM Punk and Dolph Ziggler. Well, Daniel Bryan's 31, Dolph Ziggler's 32. Uh, CM Punk, I'm not sure how old he is. He's probably right around the same area. Uh, but CM Punk has already made it known. You know, I've maybe got two or three, two or three years left in this, and it would right. honestly kind of shock me if he even makes it that far because he seems like the type of guy who is just is never happy. So you really don't know, you know, as far as who that guy is going to be. And I definitely think that they're making the right move by pushing the shield to the moon. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I do too. Um, you know, I, again, I just not really sure how this th- whole thing's going to play out and, and where it's going to go. I mean, it would be pretty cool if at some point you had Rollins and Ambrose um, both holding, you know, the the individual titles at the same time. It's just, you know, it's it's a weird thing. You know, you, you look at guys and when they get their push, and you can kind of have an idea of where they're going to go. You say, all right, you know, you can see this guy working with John Cena six eight months down the line. You can see these guys working with Randy Orton at some point. You definitely see this guy's champion, but with the Shield. You know, a three-man unit is so new to WWE. I mean, they've had them before, but but to have a unit that they push this hard, and, and you know, I can't remember one um, in a long time, a three-guy unit. So it's it's really interesting to me to see exactly where they're going to go with this thing. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. And when it comes to the Shield, you know, I, I know that you've you've been very vocal about this on Twitter, and and I think you wrote a blog about this a few weeks ago. Exactly where this goes, where does this right. end up? You know, they've beat everybody. They've beat Cena. They beat Orton. They beat Sheamus, the Big Show. Uh, they beat the Undertaker. Who takes out the Shield at this point? You know, you're constantly kind of trying to put together these dream teams that are going to stop it, and I just don't see anybody in the near future that's going to do that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I really don't either. And, you know, I mean, ideally, um, the money with the Shield is for them to create some kind of other, you know, some kind of a three-man unit with somebody else, but not just throwing guys together like, uh, you know, Kane, uh, Daniel Bryan, and somebody else, but to have, like, an actual three-man unit and to do something of a Von Erich Freebirds thing where you have the three and the three. I mean, that really is where the money is. I don't know if they're going to bring up three new guys from NXT or, or you know, or down in developmental and do something. I'm not really sure exactly what the plan is, but that really is where the money is. I'm just not sure or, you know, what the other half of that equation looks like. Eric Gargiulo from ChemicalClutchBlog.com and Pro Wrestling Radio joining us here on WrestleChat Radio, on Fan Junkies Radio, on Blog Talk Radio, on the Internet or something. Radio. Radio, radio, radio. <laughs> let's, let's fast forward to, uh, you know, it's all about chilling. That's what we're all about here, EG. Um, let's talk about Monday Night Raw and one of the big things from Raw, of course, the fact that Paul Heyman has a new client. Now, a lot of people were... All the buzz on the internet, WrestleChat was on this, and many other sites as well, early in the day Monday. And then we get to the big reveal, and we see 
Michael McGilla, I mean uh, Curtis Axel, is he the right guy to be a Paul Heyman guy? Is he the right kind of fit for the uh, Heyman regime, as it were? Yeah, um, you know, he could be, but um, last night certainly wasn't any indication that it's going to work. I mean, look, I think I've always liked him. I've always thought he had a pretty decent look. I always thought he looked pretty solid in the ring. I mean, he's a third-generation wrestler. So, um, you know, and, and, and we're not just talking about any third-generation wrestler. You know, his dad, I mean, one of the greatest workers of all time, and even his, his grandfather in his day was a hell of a worker. So, I mean, you know, the groundwork is laid for this guy to succeed. However, you know, it's really a difficult thing to take a guy who's been seen, seen as a complete jobber and then all of a sudden, you know, turn him into the real deal. And, you know, I mean, you could do that you know he could have went out there last night and had a decisive win over triple h and they really could have made the kid overnight but instead triple h kind of mocked him treated him like a jobber i mean you know the guy came off to me as a jobber with a manager you know he didn't really come off you know uh pushed as as anything harder anything different i mean you know they could have done something where they you know had this guy doing squash matches for the next two months and you kind of you know start to to build him back back like they did with ryback more or less Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, I thought, and I know Brett kind of, you know, had the same feeling as I did, that, that Ryback was going to be the next Paul Heyman guy. And, and that really made a lot of sense, especially with the way the match ended, the, the crap ending. You know, I could see Paul Heyman, you know, saying, hey, you know, this guy needs representation. And I really thought that Paul Heyman was going to ma- be announced as his manager, and he, they were going to do some kind of a- angle where Heyman, like, filed a lawsuit or something and wound up either holding up the title or got the title. And even at the end of the show, when it was uh, Kurt Axel against Triple H, I really thought it was all a swerve, and then you'd see Ryback run out as, like, the real guy. So I was really surprised when they ended the show, and, you know, Kurt Axel was still in the mix as as Heyman's guy. Uh, Yeah, I'm right there with you on that. I mean, I know I've also been saying that I really thought it was going to be Ryback or Rob Van Dam. I mean, it was kind of funny looking back on it now how the WWE absolutely just – they played all of us. You know, Rob Van Dam's yeah. picture was all of a sudden all over WWE.com, and radio hosts were coming out and saying, it's RVD, it's RVD. It was it was happening everywhere, including on Twitter. Joey Styles, I think, was uh, retweeting uh, RVD all day. So I also thought it was going to be uh, Ryback for the same reasons that you just mentioned. Um, yeah. However, I, I really feel like they dropped the ball yesterday with Curtis Axel. I thought that it was his debut, while really, really shocking. I don't think anybody really saw it coming. I, I thought it was shocking, and I was actually okay with it. I'm all I'm great with them pushing new people whenever they want to. I love it. But to end the show with a focus no longer on Curtis Axel, and now around the 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 half drunk or concussed or whatever was going on, <laughs> half with drunk owner of the company, it, it, it completely for me ruined. Everything that I saw from the three-hour show on Curtis Axel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, again, they, 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 you know, Triple H mocked him. He treated him like, you know, like a job or the manager. And um, they really, you know, if they were really serious about repackaging him, they certainly could do it. Um, you know, uh, doing that, uh, you know, in one night is not the way to do it. But there are certainly ways to do it. I mean, we've seen it before. We've seen guys before that are, are jobbers, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're repackaged, and they get a little life, a little momentum. Um, but it, it, just watching what they did with him last night, a little disappointing. You know, I've I, I, I had current, I've had his father and his grandfather on my radio show. I've interviewed them both. I've talked to them both, um, had a personal conversation with them both. I love those guys. Kurt was awesome when I had a chance to talk to him. And, I mean, as a worker, I grew up on Kurt Henning. I mean, he was one of the best ever. So I want to see the guy succeed, but I, I just don't see it right now and speaking of the radio show uh you are no foreigner when it comes to internet radio and pro wrestling radio you've done this for almost 15 years off and on and you're back in the game starting wednesday night at eight o'clock with ProWrestlingRadio.com, Pro Wrestling Radio, and uh, by the way, check out the banners on Camel Clutch blog. I'll give you one guess as to who did them. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, so, he's but, very he, talented, mind yes, you. Yes, he is. He, he's all right. He's okay. Uh, but no, seriously, uh, you're back into the uh, back, back home again, as it were, online talking wrestling, and you're uh, you're joined by Luke Hawks. Tell us about the new format for the show. 
Well, you know, I, I appreciate uh, the segue there. Yeah, um, wow, I really have been doing it for uh, 15 years, maybe even longer, because what people don't know is when I used to work at Art Video. So the, so the radio show, Pro Wrestling Radio, started in 1999, and I want to say in about 98 or maybe even 97. 90, it was whatever the year uh, it was that Brian Pillman passed away. I'm not sure if any of you guys off the top of your head know what year that was. 97. 97, okay. Okay. In 97, uh, Rob and I used to do a podcast on his website together, and we interviewed Paul Heyman at the time. We interviewed Dave Meltzer, and the only reason I remember that is because we were supposed to have Meltzer on the radio show that, that night, and, and Pillman had passed away, so, and he was, he was close friends. So, yeah, I've been doing this for, for a long time, but, you know, I, I wanted to come back. I was jonesing to come back, and um, it had been quite some time since I did it. I took a year off, you know, when I, I had my, my beautiful little girl, and um, I just didn't have time to do it. Uh, Brett knows, you know, the obligations as a family man that come along mm-hmm. with new babies. Um, but Brett also knows that they start to get a little bigger and you get some, a little bit of that time back. Um, so, you know, uh, I saw the opportunity there to, to uh, crowbar pro wrestling radio back into my schedule, and I really missed it. I really missed talking to, to, to fans and listeners and interacting and just kind of being, being a part of everything. But I wanted to do something different, you know, for, you know, since, um, you know, mid-99 all the way through uh, 2011 when I stopped doing it, I always did it by myself. And it was it's nice from a, a control factor to know that it's your baby and you can do whatever you want. But at the same time, you know, I, I'm a little older now and the time just isn't there. And, um, you know, it would have been nice to have a co-host. So I've always had it in the back of my mind that I'd want to do something with a co-host if I brought the radio show back on. So fast forward a little bit. And I heard Steve Austin's podcast, okay, which I think is just phenomenal. Um, one of the few podcasts I actually subscribe to, along with Wrestle Chat Radio, of course. Thank you very so, much. Yes. I think it's phenomenal. And what really appealed to me about Austin's podcast was the fact that he would just sit there and he'd interview these guys, but at the same time, he would also share stories with them. So he'd ask them a question, then his guests would bring up something. He'd be like, oh, yeah, remember when we were riding down the road? And remember when we stayed in this hotel? Remember when we were in this match? And I love that format. I thought it was great. And, you know, I thought about it, and Luke's been one of my best friends for years. And, I mean, we sat and talked on the phone and had these same conversations. You know, remember when when this happened or that happened, and we've gone out to dinner and just BS for hours on, you know, the XPW, CZW stuff. And I know that Luke's, you know, sharp as a tack, and Luke's, like, really in the business now. Luke goes up to WWE every couple of weeks or, or every couple of months and, you know, wrestles up there, and he was a big part of Extreme Rising and the Independent. So I thought he'd be perfect, and um, so uh, what I did was, you know, I, I figured we'd do a test show together, and I, you know, I thought we had chemistry from the start, and that's the kind of show that I, that that I want to present now, and that I'm really happy to be presenting. It's like it's not just me giving the news, it's not just me, you know, talking about stories, it's not just me, um, you know, taking questions from people in the chat room. It's me and Luke having a conversation. You know, I mean, perfect example. We were talking about Claudio Castagnoli, Antonio Cesaro, a couple of weeks ago, and then Luke breaks into the story about Claudio down at the at the WWE NXT school or somewhere down there. He was at some school that I'd never even heard before, which I didn't know the story, but, you know, he knew it. And then we're talking about John Cena in another segment, and he breaks in with a story about John Cena recently at a taping where Cena was joking around with him about something. And then, Luke, you know, we're talking about Paul Heyman, and he breaks into a story about Paul Heyman recently, uh, you know, talking with him. So, I mean, it's just a different kind of show, kind of give, you know, some different perspective, and, and I'm just so proud of it. I think it's great. If, if Luke and I had more time to do it, we'd do it every day because because I have a blast talking to him. I can say he's one of my best friends. Um, but, yeah, the radio show, we do it every two weeks. It's usually a Tuesday or Wednesday. We're kind of fishing around with different times now to see what works when we get more listeners, that kind of thing. Um, but we'll be back tomorrow night. It's Wednesday night, May 22nd, uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And what's really cool about this, too, is you can go right to my website, prowrestlingradio.com, and you can listen on the website. You don't have to go to another website. You don't have to download anything. Um, you know, and that's a whole other conversation we could have You know, if there was more time, just how refreshing it is when I made that jump from terrestrial radio to doing my own shows on the internet. Um, but, you know, it's like you go to prowrestlingradio.com, you go to the listen page, and you can listen right there. You listen right there, there's a chat room right there, you can sign in with any of your social media credentials, and bam, you know, you're part of the show, you ask questions, you know, we'll, we'll respond, we'll comment, and I think it's awesome. I think it's the best setup, the best format that, that I've done in a long time, maybe ever, and um, I'm really excited to see where this thing goes as I start doing it more often. 
Hey, you, you know, you've, you've certainly come a long way from Merrill Reese's station up in Mercer County. <laughs> yes. To say the very Yes, Merrill Reese is an interesting guy, I'll tell you that. Oh, I, I bet. I'm not to say this because I like you either, Eric, uh, but <laughs> Pro Wrestling Radio, I've listened to the first few episodes with Luke, and it's just like you say, it, it's so much fun to listen to. Luke is, is on his heels. He offers so much insight to the show. I think he's an absolute perfect co-host for you, and uh, you know, I hope everybody tunes in tomorrow night, 8 o'clock p.m., ProWrestlingRadio.com. I know I'll be listening. I know Eric Darcy from Minnesota will be listening, and uh, yeah. I really do look forward to it. Well, thank you. And, Brett, you know, you've always been so supportive. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, I miss talking to you. I used to talk to you all the time on Pro Wrestling Radio, and we'd have some great conversations. And, you know, I kind of miss that stuff. And, and now that i got the juices back going and, I, and I'm excited and I'm pumped, as you can probably hear, it's like I want to do more. You know, I want to do some other podcasts. I'm not really sure how I want to go about it. I don't know if I want to do another week of Pro Wrestling Radio, but just maybe interview a guest that week um, or maybe just do, like, a Camel Clutch blog thing. I don't know, but it's just really cool and a lot of fun. I mean, I, I know you guys know you're doing it right now just to kind of be able to talk and, and interact and just kind of be a part of things. It's, it's really a lot of fun again. It really is. It absolutely is. And people can also find your work uh, at CamelClutchBlog.com. You've been doing this forever. I think I started uh, writing with you a few weeks after you launched the site. Yeah. Lots of great blogs up right now. Uh, I think you have a story up about the uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, the bottom line uh, thing that you saw recently on Netflix. Super Cena, yeah. of course, <laughs> and Cena walking on uh, water, which I think was written by uh, Tom Clark. Who uh, that's a maybe we'll get into that some other time, but uh, that's oh, a yeah. thing as well. Yeah, and, and that's what's really cool about the Camel Clutch blog is, you know, it's not just me. It's not just my opinions. It's not just, you know, this is what Eric thinks. This is what Eric, how Eric feels. It's, it's a platform. It's a platform for other great writers like yourself and like Tom, um, like Tom Holzerman and Jeff Peck and Terry and Dustin Nichols. It's, you know, I'm just so – I am so freaking lucky that, you know, people feel um, that, that, the that the blog has enough integrity and, and has enough exposure to offer them something that – they, you know, that they contribute their writings to the blog, and I have people popping up every day. It's awesome. I just, you know, there's another guy that's been a senior correspondent, um, Dave Lewis, who's going to make his debut tomorrow. He's been a senior correspondent on Bleacher Report, and you know, he contacted me today and said, you know, can I can I come over? It's it's really expanding. It's you know, we're a part of Google News, which is very cool. Um, have been for a while, but it, it's just, you know, in addition to my stuff, it's just really cool because there's lots of different opinions, lots of different voices going on, and uh, you know, if if anybody wants to blog. Uh, you know, drop, drop me a line, Eric at CamelClutchBlog.com. I'll always take a look at your work, and if I think we're a fit, you know, I'm happy to have you on board. Good stuff. It's not just wrestling. It's all sports, too. I saw articles up recently about the Preakness and uh, yeah. all sorts of things, sports. It's, it's, it's a great read. It really is. I'd Thank say you. I wish you. I'd say I wish, I'd wish you good luck, but you, you've got this whole thing cornered. You're a, you're a seasoned professional. We're the ones who need the luck around here, but no, seriously. Uh, continued success with both the blog and with Pro Wrestling Radio. Luke is a character. We've had him on the show in the past. Uh, what a per it's, a it's a match made in he heaven, as far as I'm concerned. So best of luck to you, Eric, with Pro Wrestling Radio. Again, that's ProWrestlingRadio.com this Wednesday night, the 22nd, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Listen in live. Eric, Luke, and you can chime in, too. Uh, Eric Gargiulo, an honor as always to talk with you, good sir. Oh, my honor. And I just think you guys are wonderful what you're doing here. I mean, I've always, you know, I've always thought Brett was very talented. I'm, I'm really excited to see Brett, you know, to see you, Brett, you know, kind of, um, you know, get out there and really take hold of it because you've always had, had great insight and you've always, you know, brought a lot to the table. So I'm really excited for you. My God, for WrestleChat's success, I'm just, I couldn't be more, more proud of you guys. And Jim, I mean, you, you sound great here. I love what you guys are doing. So really wish you guys all the best. And, uh, you know, I'd love to come back anytime. At, we will we will hold you to that. I've had to drag Brett kicking and screaming to do this show sometimes. <laughs> oh, just, of course. I'm it's sure. a pain. It's a pain. <laughs> Eric, my friend, we will t t uh, touch base with you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Eric. All right, thanks, guys. Have a great show. Yep, thanks, Brett. All right, take it easy. Yep. That is Eric Gargiulo from CamelClutchBlog.com and ProWrestlingRadio.com. Again, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, May 22nd, 8 p.m. Eastern. Good people. He's just good people. And, uh, of course, he is. An experienced wrestling pro as well, CZW, ECW, and what have you. Uh, speaking of ECW, in a few moments we'll be joined by the one of the producers and directors of Barbed Wire City, John Filipavich. And uh, I'm trying to say the name right. I'm trying to just practice it enough times to, to get it right. You're it's, doing very well. It's You're, not a simple name like Williams. 
well, you you I don't know. You do say John Philip Havage quite a bit better than you do uh, when you attempt. You know, you don't want to hear how. You don't want to hear pre-show how I was butchered. You know, I I have I, I'm a public address announcer by trade, so I, I I'm a stickler with pronunciations. I don't even remember how you were saying it pre-show, but I know you were butchering it. We'll, well have to tell him that when he calls in. Okay, bright cleedial. Uh, three four seven two three seven five three seven three. If you want to call in and chat about extreme rules, about any of the news you've been reading on WrestleChat.net over the course of the last few days, uh, one thing I want to talk about with you while we have a moment here briefly is uh, well, booyaka booyaka means get another knee surgery operation. Uh, Ray Mysterio uh, out of commission now with another uh, knee issue till at least August. So SummerSlam question mark. Uh, what have you got on that, uh, BC? You know, when is this guy just going to hang it up at this point? I mean, yeah. I'm not I, – I used to be a Mysterio fan way back in the day. But over the last, I don't know, what seems like five or six years, if Rey Mysterio is not out with some kind of major injury, when Rey Mysterio hurts himself, it, it's never a, a dislocated shoulder or something that only requires a few weeks. It's always something massive that requires some kind of reconstructive surgery. And it seems like for years now, Mysterio has either been out with a surgery or a wellness uh, violation suspension. And it just it keeps happening and happening. And, uh, you know, I, I think that we're kind of at that point now where uh, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for Rey Mysterio. But, uh, you know, I just I don't have that interest anymore. I don't I think fans have lost their interest by this point. By the time he comes back, it's going to be almost a year. And even that, you know, you're probably looking at after at the last three years or so, we've only really seen him probably for a total of six months. I think it's, uh, I think it's time to head back to the six one nine for, uh, for good. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's to that point. It's to that point. And, uh, it's not just that, but when you see him in the ring anymore, he's not just injuring himself. He's injuring other people. Cause he has the brace on. I mean, we've seen enough times people getting injured by his knee brace and what have you. Um, so he's he's not just a danger to himself, but to his his work workmates. Not intentionally, of course, but uh, he is most definitely not the Rey Mysterio of old. No. He's not the guy that came up uh, through ECW many many years ago. He he's he's very slow now. Well, let's go back in time to the days of ECW because we have now, I do believe, joining us on the line one of the producers and directors of Barbed Wire City. Uh, a man who made his dream come true by getting this documentary out there, John Filipovich, joins us here on WrestleChat Radio. John, is that you? That's me. How you doing? <laughs> How like, are you, oh, John? <laughs> just me. There you go. Great having yeah, you here, John. Nothing special. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. How's everybody doing? Doing well. Doing well over here. Uh, let's get right into it. The documentary, which is uh, about to make a, a big debut, uh, is actually out there online at this point. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But uh, this was a film that was unlike most films you see in this day and age. This is a fan-funded project. I mean, completely fan-funded project. You use Kickstarter. You made it happen from there. Uh, the first question... Where did you get the idea to, first of all, create this documentary, and second of all, to have it completely funded by the fans via Kickstarter? What motivated you to go that route? Well, well, first of all, we did spend a lot of money before we ever got to Kickstarter. Um, right. I wish it was true that it was completely fan-funded. Um, <laughs> but, but at the same time, like, you know, I can't complain because it wouldn't have been a reality without people funding us, which is it's amazing, you know. Um, where did I get the idea from? I was in the 90s. I mean, I live about an hour outside of Philly. Mm-hmm. Um, I got Sports Channel uh, Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, which for, for people you know my age uh, might remember that. Before there was Comcast everywhere, there were you know local sports nets. And that was the flagship station of ECW, and I, I think I found it when I was like 12 or 13. And I became a, a regular viewer in summer of 95 is when I like actually, like I, I don't think I missed an episode after that point. And um, the original idea was to do something about uh, the original idea was to do something about the arena. Actually, was to do something about that like carnival-like atmosphere that that uh, a show day created at, at and that whole subculture of people coming to the arena and hanging out all day and like setting fires and barbecuing and you know getting wasted and stuff like that. And it just kind of grew from there. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, go- going to the ECW arena, and sadly I never got a chance to go there. I was too young before the promotion folded originally in uh, in 2001. Uh, but just from seeing fans there and seeing other documentaries, it was uh, a unique experience, shall we say, putting it mildly. <laughs> yeah. You 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 know you hear about the uh, the various sporting events with their wild parties and wild fans and what have you. It's, this was to a whole nother level. Um, but uh, going back again to the Kickstarter, you guys raised something to the tune of thirty thousand dollars plus. Did you ever imagine that you'd get such support from loyal fans of Extreme Championship Wrestling and wrestling fans in general? No, <laughs> because wrestling fans beat everything. You know, um, but... <laughs> Hi, number three. How you doing? Um, yes. Uh, but, um, uh... You go no, ahead. It was, yes. Yeah, it was... No, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I joke, but, like, you know, it's a it's a, it's a a cynical, jaded bunch. So, mm. it's like an uphill battle. And, um... I just, you know, I did as many interviews as I could. I tried to, you know, plead our case for what we were doing. I think we had a decent video which kind of showed the gist of what we were doing. And, you know, mm-hmm. thankfully, it, you know, halfway through, it did not look like we were going to get the money. It looked like it would come down to the final day at that. And I was running out of people to, to outlets in which to plead my case. And thankfully, somebody jumped in and uh, donated f- four grand. And then it just exploded from there. Because I, it's weird. Like, I think people, even though, even though Kickstarter doesn't charge you unless the, you, you reach the minimum, I think people didn't want to bother unless it was definitely going to happen. And once that they saw that it was definitely going to happen, then everybody who was kind of waiting on it was like, okay, we'll do this. Let's get into some of the uh, aspects of the film and then such the aspects of ECW back in the day. Uh, You get a lot of interviews and you get a lot of uh, interesting responses when the subject and the name Paul Heyman are brought up. Former ECW stars, many of them uh, still with plenty of resentment towards the man, uh, in the eyes of many, did you get that uh, gist, that notion that a lot of former ECW stars were still resenting Heyman? And if so, is it pretty much based on how ECW ended solely? I I didn't as much actually. Um, I mean, we tried to present all all the sides, you know, pretty fairly on pretty much every subject. We tried mm-hmm. to have like, you know, every side, and if there was a third and a fourth side, we'd that were kind of like off the beaten path, we try to present that too. I, it's weird because a lot of the the interviews I did in the last like year uh, of filming, once we kind of got back on the horse with this in like I think February of 2012, um, like a, a lot of a lot of interviews came from you know we juxtaposition the the Extreme Reunion uh, debut show with the historical stuff. Um, the people that were there, it's a it's a contextual thing. Because mm-hmm. they're there for an ECW reunion, and, like, some of them were actually at the fan fest, you know. Um, and, and the other thing is that I think in the back of their mind, they're like, you know, I hated him then, but, like, I don't think Axel Rotten, Axel Rotten was really hard on him in the 2001 interview. I don't even think he even brought him up when I interviewed him last year. And I think it's just kind of one of those things where they're like, you know what, I really hate what happened at the end, but I'm still making some money. And it's, like, 12 years later. Probably so some hatchets have been buried. I, I think that they have some healthy... I think that they've grown and evolved as people, at least some of them. I mean, New Jack, obviously, you know, you can see in the movie, still kind of hates the guy. But I think people are like, you know what? What's that? New Jack hates everybody, I say, in some jest, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think that there's... I don't know if there's a respect, but it's like, you know, how long am I going to be angry at this guy kind of a thing? Or I think that they're at least more nuanced with their, they don't, it's not as raw. Like a lot of the interviews we did in 2001 were right, I mean, we got so much access because these guys had, they were coming off of ECW and it was easier to grab them and they wanted to hear their voice heard, you know, and they had a lot to say at that time. Um, And it basically was like whether people thought that they could still get a job from WWE or not, depend, that was kind of the for me, what the read between the lines thing there was, you could tell what they were going to say based on their outlook. And, uh, Absolutely. I, I didn't see as much of that in the last year, just because I think that people are just like, well, you know, what's done is done. How long am I going to be angry? You know, I'm still making some money. I'm at a reunion show. Absolutely. If you're just joining us, we're uh, we're being joined by uh, 
John Philip Havage, he is the director and producer, uh, co-producer as well, uh, uh, with Kevin Kiernan of Barbed Wire City. Uh, I have seen the film. I've actually watched it three times now. Uh, you can actually watch the film immediately via direct download right on barbwirecity.com. You can order the DVD right through the online store at the same place. And I definitely encourage anybody who is a wrestling fan, whether you were old enough to see ECW or not, to, to go out of your way and check out this film. I promise you it is worth it. Um, John, I want to get into some stuff that, uh, some things that I took away from the film. Uh, and one of them, and I know you've discussed this in quite a few interviews, but one of the most poignant moments of, the, of Barbed Wire City was the real in-depth look at the infamous mass transit incident. Now, this was an incident that I had heard about before I saw the movie, but I never actually saw it on my own. Once the film got over, I said, you know what, I need to just, I need to just buckle up and I need to find this thing online and check it out for myself and draw my own conclusions. Needless to say, I was horrified. I think I fast-forwarded through like two minutes of it because I just couldn't stand watching this guy, you know, lay there with blood spewing out of his face. Um, one thing that I was really looking forward to in the film that I was kind of shocked to not see uh, was the fact that there wasn't any footage of the actual instance or, or any news coverage. And then I, I actually saw in an interview later on that you had said that you didn't have really the ability to obtain the licenses for that footage. What was it that made you feel like chronicling that incident in the film was so important even without having any footage to go along with it? Because, oh, like, um, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> as I mumble. Uh, dramatic, like, na narratively speaking, because that's, like, what little I know about film filmmaking <laughs> has to do more with, with narrative than anything, because that's, uh, you know, what I was trained in. Um, narratively speaking, it was uh, kind of the midpoint reversal thing where they, they were so close to a goal and there was a lack of kind of institutional control there that kind of almost became a tipping point for them. It was definitely like this bellwether thing where... I mean, they had had other incidents before. I mean, we produced uh, in, uh, a segment that's like five minutes long on uh, the the fire incident, which is something that happened like a year before that, where there was, you know, a fire and a fan got burned and, you know, the lights were out in the arena and people were panicking and, like, falling over each other. They didn't, the reason that I didn't get in the film other than time was that it, um, there were no real ramifications. The, the State Athletic Commission had a, had a meeting and kind of slapped people on the wrist and didn't do anything. And... So this became the incident that really almost stopped them from reaching what was really the goal of the first half of ECW, which was the pay-per-view. Um, and it also, to me, indicated sort of that lack of institutional control that the company had. And that kind of goes into my whole, my whole spiel about uh, like uh, the whole Paul Heyman thought experiment. Like The way I view ECW is this brilliant thought experiment from this guy who came out of the Northeast and had lived through the territorial system and he was like, I have these new ideas and everybody else was like, shut up. So he went and found some guy and, you know, this older age was dying and these people didn't, didn't realize it. And he went and, you know, lucked out and kind of, you know, through his best friend Eddie Gilbert found this guy, Todd Gordon, who kind of gave him the reins and had television and he was able to, he had this whole co-creative process with these guys he changed so many things stylistically. It was television production with, uh, with product presentation and, you know, style and whatnot. And then this whole thing, which slowly starts to kind of go awry for a lot of different reasons, not all his fault. Um, it was kind of meant to always, and, you know, the, the more and more I looked at it. And, and this was kind of that incident where it was, that was a big warning sign. You know, they got through it, but it really kind of represented something to me for, for them. I thought it was important to cover. One of the interesting things people will find about this DVD is you actually have a, a relatively uh, big-name musician in the film in frontman of Smash, the Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan. Uh, we, won't, we won't give our listeners the whole story because, gosh darn it, that's why we want you to see the film. But it was interesting to see that he had an opportunity to have a little more than just a say in what was going on in the company, for lack of better terms, in a roundabout way. How was Billy to work with during the documentary and the shooting of things? I have very limited time with him. Like, I don't really have, like, a relationship with him. Um, right. I, and I may or may not see him on Thursday, oddly enough, um, oh. in Chicago. There um, you go. So I'm actually very interested because I, I have not spoken to him about – I know he's seen it, but I have not mm -hmm. spoken to him about, about the film. Um like, that was set up by Lou D'Angelo, 
who you know, played uh, Sign Guy and Louie Dangerously. Um, and, yeah, we flew out and, you know, to keep the story brief, but, like, it was we had our whole a hotel room set up for Lou. We were going to interview Lou and then do Billy after the show. And then we were called, you know, at, like, 3 o'clock and told, come to the building, Billy wants to do this now. I said, okay. And then when we got there, his crew kept, like, like busting my balls, for lack of a better term, um, about, like, oh, you know, the filmmaker's here, he's late, and everybody's saying this, and I'm like, I think they're being funny, and it turns out, for some reason, they had been told I was going to be there at 2.30, and I was there at 3.30, so mm. we had, like, minimal time to set up, they bring Billy in, and it was, like, very evident to me I had a very small amount of time, so <laughs> there wasn't a lot of, like, chit-chat to be had, and I was very aware that his, like, assistant was kind of looking over my shoulder, waiting for, waiting for me to pause too long so she could wrap it up. So we kind of like busted through what questions I had, and thankfully he really wanted a big selling point for him in doing this was to recount his time in ECW uh, with Lou D'Angelo, which is uh, an extra on the DVD. So once he saw yeah. that, he's like, he shook my hand. He was he was very cool. I think he added a lot. I mean, I think his main interview was like 18 minutes, mm. as compared to a lot of people who he interviewed a lot more extensively. And like, you know, he had good enough quotes that he ended up having like two minutes in the documentary which is a pretty good percentage, you know? I yeah. found the stuff that he said to be, like, really relevant. Um, we wanted him because, as my partner said, this proves that this happened in the real world. <laughs> because we were always very mindful of taking this to, you know, film festivals and people who like niche subcultures, especially misunderstood niche subcultures. And um, when I do show this to people who don't know anything about wrestling, they can't believe that this, this, like, this ECW thing exists. And they don't know about it. And therefore, then, then when they see Billy Corgan, they're like, "Oh wow, it has to be real because I know who that is." There you go. I mean, I mean, I think it's just a, a cool thing to see. Uh, you know, he he was a big fan of ECW and and almost had a stake in things. You mentioned Chicago. Uh, there's going to be a screening of this film on Thursday, the 23rd of May, it's at the Pickwick Theater in Chi Town at 7:30 p.m. And uh, well, in addition to you and Kevin Kiernan. Uh, Raven, Perry Saturn, they're going to be joining a Q&A panel after the screening. And, uh, well, uh, Brett, you, you you want to take it from here? I don't know. I, I mean, I, I hear there might be a surprise addition to the panel. I don't know if uh, John has any info about that yet. Maybe. Um, you know what? I, it's it's going to depend on whether this person feels like going on stage or not. But I'm, I'm relatively confident we'll have a cool surprise for the, the Q&A panel. Nice. <laughs> and... And this was set up, I believe, with the help of Billy Corgan's Resistance Pro, if I'm not mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely right. Yeah, there are partners in this, and they're essentially the promoter. You know, awesome. I don't, awesome. I'm not in in the Chicago market, so they're out there promoting it for us. And then we're going to be at their show the next night um, on Bourbon, Bourbon Street in Chicago. It's called the show's called Lights Out. So mm-hmm. Go to resistancepro.com and you can get information about their show. Awesome. And anybody out there in the Chicago market that is uh, still hoping to, to see the screening of Barbed Wire City this Thursday at the Pickwick Theater at 7.30, you can actually purchase your tickets in advance at movietickets.com. Uh, tickets are only 10 bucks, I believe. So uh, definitely get out there and uh, take this chance to see this film on the, uh, on the big screen. So, uh, John, what I want to do is I want to go back into something that, that I really took away from this film. And th- this thing was actually um, some of the interviews that I saw with Axel Rotten and Balls Mahoney. Uh, specifically the extremely kind of emotional exchange between the two towards the end of the film. Now, when I was watching this, and maybe there's other people that, that did the same thing, but I kind of, I couldn't help but draw this parallel in my mind between these two guys and uh, the movie The Wrestler, made famous by, by Mickey Rourke. What was it like for you to talk to guys like them who have seemingly never rebounded from the closing of ECW and you know pretty much continue to still go on these extreme reunion shows while struggling with their health. Yeah, what's funny is they're the guys who, like, a, a lot of people I talk to have kind of moved on in their life, and they're the guys who, like, I think they both say it in the, in the film, actually, that that was the best time of their life. Like, they're in their, you know, early, I believe they're both in their early 40s now, and they consider that, like, the best time of their life for whatever reason, and they kind of, like, outline that they felt like rock stars and on some level and, you know, they lived and breathed it, and it gave them some sense of purpose that they're still kind of, still kind of holding on to, I guess. You know, and but, but look, they're still getting booked because of that. You know, like we said before, 
But it was, like, you're not the first person to say that to me as far as that comparison. I think it's, it's pretty apt. That's like, I didn't, I thought people would talk about that, but I didn't realize how much that one scene would get so much talk. And it's interesting, depending on, depending on who you are, you either think, I mean, I, I think like 75% of people are just shocked by that scene with the two of them from the reunion. And then there's this 25% that kind of find it like this heartwarming old buddies, you know, uh, on a fishing trip kind of deal, I guess. <laughs> I um, think I kind of took away both feelings from that. I, I think you're right. I, I mean, I, I kind think, of in the middle there. I think it's appropriate to feel either way. I'm not here to tell you how to feel about it. You know what I mean? Obviously, a lot of the... I mean, you read different reviews of the, of the, of the documentary, and you, you can take a lot of different things if you've never seen it, and you're, you're reading two different reviews. I think because we didn't have narration and we purposely left things a little bit vague and left you to look at the subtext, you can either be like, yes, CCW was the greatest thing, or you can go like, wow, there are a lot of ramifications to everything that happened, and, you know, it's this kind of sad, tragic, compelling story. You know, and I'm fine with... You know, whatever, whatever you take out of it, as long as you, I mean, I hope that you laugh, you cry, and you think, you know, <laughs> you don't have to fall, but, you know, if you get emotional from these things, I mean, that's the purpose of making art, so to speak. Absolutely, and I think fans will take away all sorts of those things. It's funny, that was actually kind of my next question. You know, when when people see the film, they immediately go on, on Twitter and Facebook and social networking, or they write a review, and it seems that everybody walks away from, from Barbed Wire City with a different feeling, feelings that range from happiness to that they got to relive ECW for, you know, through a film, or to complete anger, to nostalgia, to being pretty damn depressed, which I, I think I tweeted you after the night after I saw the film, and I said, you know what, I kind of feel like I just got punched in the stomach. It, it hit me in that yeah. way. And, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's a, a credit to the work that you and Kevin did that a fan can watch this film and literally – they can all walk away feeling something different. I hope so, yeah. I mean, thank you. You know, I, I, I think that that's probably the best compliment that I could have, you know what I mean? Like, that, that, we, that we wasn't, you know, a position piece. It wasn't swayed in one, one direction, but it kind of pre- it documented. It presented evidence of what exactly happened and left you to kind of feel not only how you might feel about the history, but about where these guys are and what, you know, that kind of question, was it worth it for everybody? Something I'm wondering about, and I'm sure some many of our listeners are wondering about as well, is not just the uh, fan reaction, but of course the reaction of those who were there from 93 to 2001 in the original ECW. Have you gotten any feedback from those who you've interviewed who have seen the documentary? Have you gotten any feedback from those who weren't interviewed in the film or weren't a part of the film uh, and feedback from them? And if so, what have you gotten feedback-wise in general? Yeah, nobody's like, wanted to kill me. <laughs> you know, like... Well, that's, cool. a positive. that's always a good thing. Yeah, well, I don't know why, why they would, in fairness, you know. Um, oh, of course. Well, yeah. uh, I mean, people can be irrational, but it's like I didn't tell people what to say. I mean, if I, exactly. if I, like, if I had narration that was just completely, like, going after somebody in some unfair way, I, you know, I'd understand that. I wouldn't want to do that, though. Um, yeah, like, I mean, Brian Heffron, the Blue Meanies, watched it, like, 20 times at this point. <laughs> he, he that's me all the time. He's like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, dude, I'm watching it again, and I'm like, oh, geez, I don't even want to watch it anymore. <laughs> um, I was surprised that Joey Styles came out uh, publicly and said what he did. Um, you know, he had he tweeted out that this was like the best ECW documentary, and it was the most authentic. Um, and I had heard that privately, but like when I heard it, I was told like he probably wouldn't say anything. You know, he works for WWE um, on their on their web team, and so I was like very touched by that. Um, Francine, who was not in it, actually got in touch with me to say that it like really stirred her emotionally, um, and that she loved it, and that she was sorry that she hadn't uh, participated originally, which you know was a really nice compliment. So yeah, like I have, I've gotten back, you know, different people here and there. I know Angel really liked it. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. You know, different people. You know, I haven't heard basically I haven't heard anything where people are like, well, I didn't like it at all. Right. Well, I mean, this lends itself to the obvious next question, and it's a question that I think every director has been given since the beginning of time, so here's the token question. Looking back on it, the the many months, years that this has been building to the crescendo to, 
looking back, do you have any regrets at all in regards to the product you put out, what you could have done differently, who you could have interviewed if you had the chance that you couldn't get, stuff like that? Oh, I thought you were going to go with the Heyman question. <laughs> oh, 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 no. Me. No, no, no. No. It's, uh, no, I haven't talked to Paul Heyman, by the way. You know, I have, no, I that's, know that's no, no, I, no. Um, no, I mean. Yeah, I mean, there's certain things that you, uh, I mean, I, I've done interviews. Like, I did a really long one for uh, another another podcast where I was just like, give me criticisms, and I'm just going to tell you, like, if, if there's a criticism, I probably have, like, a five-minute answer for you, you know. Um, as to like what, like yes, we I mean, we worked on this long enough. We pretty much thought of everything, and it came down to what we had or what we didn't. And usually a time thing because this cut had to be under two hours, you know. Um, and we always knew like, look, there's you know that's what extended cuts are for. We're trying to like mold and focus things. Um, as far as like, I wouldn't say any regret. Are there you know? I wish of wrestlers. I wish we could have uh, we could have gotten Tommy Dreamer. We certainly talked to him enough over the years. And at the end of the day, it just, you know, it didn't happen. But I thought he could have, he's the one wrestler I think he'd have had a lot. Because, while I think we have a wide swath of wrestlers, and I'm, like, really happy with that. And there's only so much that wrestlers can really tell you uh, without, you know, most of them don't give you a big context to things. They know what they did. But Tommy's somebody who is, like, very emblematic of ECW. There's a little section in the film about him um, being emblematic of something. And um, he also worked behind the scenes a lot. And he was very close to Paul Heyman which I think would have made him, you know, valuable to, to speak with, and ultimately that didn't end up happening. So that's one of the things, you know. Other things are, like, really small, and they're all things that I just kind of, like, jotted down and said, yes, I'd like to do that on an extended cut. Mm-hmm. And that, that extended cut, from what I understand, is going to be coming out in the near future. Uh, we only have two or three minutes left in the show, but I definitely want to uh, get into this really fast. What can fans expect to see on the extended cut? And, and as of right now, when do you think this is going to be available? Not before September. I know that Mike uh, Johnson reported that because, you know, Mike's, Mike's my buddy, so he's, he's always talking to me about things, and he puts that little tidbit. Um, it's something that we haven't even touched since probably – we had, like, a rough version of it in, in March, and we kind of had to, like, step back and just work on the, the, the cut that we had to get out April 20th. I think June 1st we'll probably sit back down. There's like two or three interviews that, you know, and I don't want to say who just because they might fall through, but there are two or three people that we were, that contacted us and were like, if you want me to do anything to the extended cut, I'd love to. Um, so we'll probably have a few interviews. I know there's like 28 minutes that are already kind of laid in, but they're not worked on. They look, they look like crap right now. Um, mm-hmm. A lot more Todd Gordon stuff uh, is in the body of it. A lot more about the unique things that Paul Heyman did, you know, uh, some stuff about who they had there. You know, a lot more stuff that was cut because it was very wrestling-centric, and we were trying to make something super accessible to people, you know, that aren't just, like, hardcore wrestling. We were trying to reach people who had never heard of the story. You know, the first wave was always wrestling uh, fans, and then from there we wanted to see how far we could go with, you know, the documentary film festival scenes. Um, now, so yeah, uh, now I know you say I know you I know you say that you can't uh, you won't toss out any names of people that you might be interviewing for the extended cut, but I, I'm just saying I'm just saying June 22nd, Tommy Dreamer's House of Hardcore is coming to Philadelphia. Just saying. Yeah. I know, I know, <laughs> I'm aware. Um, <laughs> He's got these things circled we'll on his calendar, Brett. <laughs> well, it's um, there's, like, seven, there's like six or seven extras. Sorry, guys. There's just uh, there's like 28 minutes laid in as of now. It'll probably end up being more like 35 to 40. Extra, you know, minutes dumped throughout of it, and then I believe there's seven extras that are like yeah. full segments of things. So, good stuff. Well, the website's barbedwirecity.com. You can purchase the film via direct download. You can order the DVD through the online store. And again, Thursday, May 23rd, Chicago's Pickwick Theater, 7:30 p.m. MovieTickets.com to secure tickets for that. Raven's there. Perry Saturn's there. Kevin Kiernan is there, and John Filipovich is there as well. I think I butchered butch the name, but, you know, there you go. No, no, I got it. You got it. Okay, there you go. You don't know how many times I've... John, he he literally practiced this with me pre-show. Yes. I thought of actually writing you and spelling it phonetically because everybody does ask me. (laughs) Yeah, you know, there you go. But, John, great to have you on board and uh, continued success and with the extended cut and with what you're doing this week with the documentary. We hope it's a big success and it stirs the emotions of wrestling fans all over. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Take it easy. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, John.
And that'll do it for WrestleChat Radio. Uh, we have 20 or so seconds left. We want to thank John Philipavich from BarbedWireCity.com. Check out the documentary. Eric Arjulo from KettleClutchBlog.com. Wednesday night, 8 o'clock, ProWrestlingRadio.com is the place to be for that. Uh, Brett Clendaniel, for him, I'm Jim Williams. Say good Brett. Or don't say good night, Brett. We'll see good. you soon. Adios. Da-da-da-da-da. I have it